Matthew chapter eight. Here's what we are doing. We've been going through the book of Matthew and Matthew has been laying out for us who Jesus is. He's, he's introducing Jesus to a Jew, Jewish audience. He gave us the idea of how, who Jesus is as he came to earth in the first few chapters, his, his birth and how, um, what transpired between just him coming to the earth and right after. Then Jesus is presented on, as a great teacher. And Matthew presents Jesus as not just a good teacher, a great moral teacher, but the best teacher. And we see some great teachings. And then Matthew now has gone into, and he's presenting Jesus as something more than just a teacher. Something more than just somebody that you should respect because he's a great teacher. But now Matthew's showing that Jesus is all-powerful. He's more powerful than, and you can name it. Now, as men, we're kind of drawn to power, aren't we? You know, we like power trucks, we like power computers, we like anything with power, we're drawn to it. The more power, err, yeah. We just kind of bow up, that's what we want. And here's what Matthew's doing. He's showing that Jesus is really, truly the ultimate fighting champion of all time. He is the greater of disease. He's the greater of death. He's the greater of all kinds of sickness. Jesus is greater. So Matthew chapter eight, now here's what we have. We have Jesus is finished teaching. Crowds have gathered around. Crowds have been witnessing demonic oppression, demonic influence, possession. Jesus has healed. Jesus has cast out demons. And now here's what you have. You have the crowds who are gathered around going, wow, this is amazing. This guy is great. And you have some excited people. Anytime you have great crowds and there's something that's been very emotionally moving and stirring, you have people who begin to throng and begin to, to push and they want to respond emotionally because the atmosphere has become emotionally charged. And so that's what we have here in chapter eight. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter eight. I'm gonna ask that you go all the way down to verse 18. Verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. That's the other side of, they're sitting on uh, the side of the lake. Last week or a couple weeks ago when I spoke, we talked about them being on the other side. They crossed over. We have to go back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and that's where Jesus is at. He's ready to leave the crowds, ready to go to the other side, ready, ready to get into a boat, cross over. And in verse 19, and it says, and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. God, I am so thankful for what you have done this last week. I want to say thank you for our volunteers who made it possible. Thank you for the many prayers that, that went up on behalf of Vacation Bible School. God, thank you for the lives that were touched. And we want to just give you all the glory. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word now, I pray that you be magnified. I pray that you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So thank you. you may be seated. 
So here's what we have. We have great crowds have gathered. They've, they've seen Jesus do fantastic things. They've seen Jesus perform miracles and they're all excited. And Jesus is giving great teaching. And as the teaching is now finished, Jesus is ready to move on. He's had one of those intense ministry moments, IMM, intense ministry moments in which it's just been hard. It's been hard pressed. And now he's ready to actually get away from the crowds. He's been, he's tired. It's kind of interesting that Jesus is so tired. And matter of fact, you're going to see as he gets into the boat, you know the story that's going to be coming up where they get into the boat and there's a storm that comes. And what is Jesus doing? He sleeps. He is exhausted. He's tired. He's tired of the healing. He's tired of, of the ministry. It's just, it's time for him to leave. But as he's trying to leave, he tells the disciples, it's time to get out of here. It's time to go to the other side. I need a break for just a moment. What happens is this, is you have people who who are so excited about what they just heard. They want to come up. They want to talk to Jesus. They want to interact with Jesus personally. And they want to kind of let Jesus know how, how good they are. And it happens quite often. You, you see it whether it's at a baseball game. You see it whether it's at a football game. You see it when it's a musician, when there's a great, uh, maybe there's a, a, a band that you like, a Southern gospel band, whether it's just a country band, whatever it is, people throng around and they, they're emotionally charged because of the atmosphere and they want to get closer. And as they get closer, then they want to, hey, I, I, I'm like you. And they kind of want to impress sometimes and they try to impress. And so here's what happens. There's a man, a couple men who come forward and it's like they're standing in line just to shake Jesus's hand. They're standing in line, they're, they're ready and they're coming up to Jesus and they want to talk to him because they've seen something great just happen. And here's what happens. Verse 19, and a scribe came up. Here's what's significant about this. A scribe is one of the highly educated Jewish people. He's a scholar of the day. And as a scholar, he's, he's well-studied. And because he's a scribe, his income, his financial stability, his way of living has all been based on the Jewish religious system. And as a scribe, he comes up to Jesus and he's, he's, he's acknowledging there's something great about this man. And he says, teacher. Now we read over that so quick. Before a scribe to acknowledge Jesus as a teacher was significant. Why? Because the scribe had went to all the best schools. The scribe had went through the religious institution. He was known and he was set up in the right way. And what he just did is, as a scribe, he would be one that would actually be part of the teaching, part of the society. But now he calls Jesus a teacher. Jesus didn't go to all those great schools. Jesus wasn't officially named a teacher from one of the, the main schools for rabbis. Jesus was a common man. Matter of fact, do you remember what his background is? Jesus' background was a carpenter. So for this religious man who had been brought up in the tradition, who had went to all the schools, who was a teacher in his own right, for him to actually call Jesus a teacher, that was a major concession. And he's just watched what's happened. He says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Do you feel the weight of this? He's saying, I will give up. And he makes a gigantic statement. I will give up 
my livelihood. I will give up what everybody else is going to see as popular. Because if you were in the religious astute, the, the higher end of society, you were well off. You got paid well. You had a good living. You actually, you were good. But now he's saying, Jesus, I will follow you. An unnamed, nobody else is proclaiming him as a teacher. He doesn't have the education. He doesn't have the background. And this scribe is saying, I will leave what I have and I will follow you. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? But here's what happens. In the emotion of an atmosphere, when everybody's cheering and getting excited, you cannot like baseball. And you go to a Texas Ranger game. And when they're behind and they start coming back, and the crowd begins to do the wave, and the cheers begin to go louder and louder, before long, even if you don't care for baseball, what are you doing? You're into it. You're emotionally charged. I was at the ball game a few nights ago when we got to go with my family, and um, there was a lady sitting right next to us, down just away, and she was reading the newspaper. Then she had a book, And she went from the newspaper to the book. But by the end of the game, do you know what she was doing? It was all down. And she was up there cheering and clapping with her husband. I mean, she was just as engaged. And so here's what happened. This guy, he he saw the healings and he saw the emotion. He felt the emotion. He's so excited. He says, I will give up everything. and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. He makes a giant statement. Now, watch what Jesus does. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. If you just stop there, that's, that's kind of a weird statement, isn't it? Who, who brought up animals? I love it. We were driving today. This happens quite often. We're driving, and all of a sudden, we're, we're singing or we're talking, and the next thing you know, somebody in my vehicle is yelling, squirrel! It happens all the time. We go to the zoo, the Fort Worth Zoo. We're looking at the zebras. We're looking at all these animals, and all of a sudden, Squirrel! I don't know why my son, he, is just, he, he just loves squirrels. He's excited about squirrels. And so it doesn't matter. If he sees one, he is excited. Squirrels. And it almost seems like Jesus is not even listening. This guy just said he's willing to follow you wherever. And, and Jesus says, foxes, birds. Jesus, nobody's even talking about animals. What are you, where are you going? What are you trying to do? And Jesus is bringing up, that to follow him is gonna cost. To follow Jesus, to actually really follow Jesus, it's gonna cost you something. And it's gonna cost your comfort. Because what this man was seeing as a scribe, he was in the religious astute, he was, he was in the hierarchy. And he saw this man who had power, who was healing, who had power over demons, who just at mere words, Diseases were leaving bodies and Jesus didn't even have to be present and people were being healed. Demons were being cast out with just words. And he sees this power and Jesus says, wait a minute. If you're coming and you're wanting to follow me because you want power, you want prestige, you want comfort, let me just show you, you're not gonna get comfort. The little things that you despise, the little birds that you like to kick around, you shoot, or you think that's insignificant, those foxes that you think are just ordinary, lame animals, they have a place to rest. And then he says, but the son of man, this is Jesus's favorite title for himself. It comes out of Daniel chapter seven. 
And Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. And it's a title for his, him being the Messiah. But more than that, it's also depicting Jesus' humiliation. Because he is the God of the universe, the creator of the world. And he puts on human flesh. He becomes part of creation and he walks among. The creator is walking among. And so Jesus says, the son of man, that's me. Although I created everything, although I am the creator, although I am the sustainer of life, look what he says, has nowhere to lay his head. So if you really want to follow me, you just need to give up right now and understand it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost personal comfort sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes you might have to give up those things that you really maybe enjoy. Quite often when you're talking to somebody who's, who's getting ready to cross over and actually trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they struggle. Do you know what they struggle with? Well, if I trust Jesus, can I still party? If I trust Jesus, can I still, you know, can I still hold that grudge? Can I still be bitter? Because you know what? I really hate this person. And they want to hang on to something. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you to actually follow me. So he goes on. Verse 21, another man. Another man's waiting in line. And he hears Jesus go, no, you can't follow me unless you really are willing to give up. So this man is almost, I kind of, in my mind, I kind of picture, I've been working with uh, kids all week, so just forgive this, but it's almost like this guy was standing back and he heard what Jesus said. He was like, shaboom. Oh yeah, you were just told by Jesus. And so now he comes up and he said, okay, Jesus. And he's ready to impress and he's ready to show Jesus, I understand what you need and I understand what you're asking for. And the Bible says this, another of the disciples. Now this isn't the 12 apostles. This is a disciple. A disciple would be one who was a learner, somebody who had been with Jesus over the last few days. So he would be considered somebody who has been following through. It says, another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now, this seems like a a pretty honest request, doesn't it? Jesus, I'm willing to follow. I'm ready. I've been listening to what you're saying. So Jesus, if you would just let me go bury my father, then I will follow you. I will will do whatever. I will follow you. The problem is this, is that this is in the ancient Near East. This is still even a phrase that you can hear today. Here's what it means. My father's still alive and I need to take care of the family business. And once my father passes and I've received my inheritance... Once I've got what's coming to me, once I get the, my share of the business, then I will follow. <laughs> That's a little bit different, isn't it? Because it almost seems like Jesus was being mean to this guy by saying, let the dead bury the dead. It almost seems like Jesus was being heartless. Whoa, if somebody just died, you need to have a little bit more compassion, Jesus. But this man's father was still alive. And Jesus, has said, Jesus says, wait a minute, uh-uh. If you're worried about your riches and you're worried about your wealth and you're worried about your inheritance and what's to come, then you really can't follow me. You need to be willing, if you're really willing, to follow Christ 
It's going to cost your comfort, and it's going to cost your riches, and it's going to cost you everything. Let me ask you a question. What stops you from trusting Christ? What stops you from actually following Jesus full on? Because it's, sometimes it's maybe easier just to say a prayer and actually trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But then what stops you from daily following him and actually becoming more like him? That's a good question, isn't it? It's something that we have to always evaluate. And that's why Paul tells us to what? Daily die to ourselves to keep going on. August 8th, 1914, there was an expedition that, that left Plymouth, England. I don't know if you heard about this. This was one week after Germany declared war. And these men, there are 29 of these men. They get on three wooden ships. Three wooden ships. Their goal is to head to Antarctica. They are planning on crossing the Antarctic on foot to be the first adventurers who ever did it. These 29 men, here's the article that they responded to. You ready? Men wanted for a hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. That was the advertisement. 29 men said, yes, we're ready, we'll go, and they head off to go to the Antarctic. If men and women will be willing to respond to something that small and really, let's say, insignificant in the scheme of life, what's stopping you from following Jesus Christ? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you two points to wrap up to make sure that we understand what's happening in this passage so that we can take this away and move forward throughout the rest of the week. Ready? The first one is this. A great comment does not equal a great commitment. Just because you've made great comments about Jesus, just because you say you like Jesus, just because you say you really like the church does not equal a great commitment to Jesus. There is a difference Matter of fact, their difference can be summed up like this. In just a few weeks, we're going to see the Olympic athletes. And after the Olympics, it's always fun to watch how many kids get involved in gymnastics or track and field. A few years ago, we were living in Plano, and, and in the Plano area, I was the FCA. I was over some FCA students, and they were all training for the Olympics for the um, gymnastics. And so I, would, I was going in and I was interacting with these kids. And the girl who ended up winning uh, several years ago, she was up there in that group. And we were talking and we we're talking about these great commitments. And right after the girl from Plano ended up winning the gold, do you know what happened in gymnastics all across not only the DFW area, but all across the United States? You know what happened? Gymnastics doubled in attendance all throughout the Metroplex and all over. Why? We get excited. But just saying that you want to be an Olympic athlete, does it make you one? Just saying that you want your kid to be an Olympic athlete. The problem is, is most of us are not willing to commit the time, the eating right, the sleeping, the commitment to training. And then even after that, if you have the commitment, 
very few people even have the talent, physical ability to actually become an Olympic athlete. So just saying you want to be that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And just because you say you, you like Jesus, you love Jesus, just by making a big statement doesn't mean that you're actually really committed to following him. Please don't confuse those. Just because you said a prayer doesn't mean that you've actually really believed and trusted Jesus. There is a difference. The last one. Ready? A man chooses his priorities and then his priorities will choose him. You will choose your priorities as you leave here today, a man or a woman. You choose your priorities on what to live and how you're going to live, what's important to you and what's not important to you. This man, the second man, he chose his priorities. He said it was more important for him to stay with his father, to stay in the family business. Not wrong, but he was making a major statement without actually truly being willing to follow through. You will choose your priorities and you will choose your priorities today. And over the next few years, here's what will happen. You have to live with the consequences of those choices. Those priorities that you chose, the consequences, good or bad, will then play a part in who you are in the future. Dads, this is Father's Day. And as of Father's Day, can I just say this? Granddads, your kids... They don't want a bigger house. They don't want a bigger car. They don't want more land. Do you know what they want? They want time with you. They want time with you. And you can choose those priorities now. But in a few years, whether you choose to do something about it now or not, it will still play a fact and it will actually play consequences on your life in two years, four years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. And the very last thing I want to say about this is you can walk out of here today living on the fence. But living on fences is not any way to live. Saying, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't really want to trust him. Yeah, I like Jesus, I trusted him, but I don't really want to live full on for him. I'm kind of scared about that. And you can, you can walk out of here. But here's what Jesus said a little bit later on. You ready? Jesus said this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You can go out and gain everything you want and you can put your priorities wherever you want them to put, wherever you desire, your dreams, your plans, you can put them anywhere you want. But here's the bottom line. At the end, it does have a consequence. So if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to follow him, here's what you get. There's no high like the most high. (laughs) There's no greater thrill then following Jesus, because he's the only one that fulfills your life. Everything else loses its power. Jesus is the only one who keeps it. So here's what I'm gonna ask. What's stopping you today? One, what's stopping you from trusting Jesus Christ? This week, we had 10 kids trust Jesus Christ as their personal savior, 10. I love the fact that the Bible brings us salvation and shows us how we have salvation. And it's so simple that even a child can do it. But it becomes so complicated sometimes that even adults, we say, I don't think that that can be that easy. And so we don't do it. The Bible tells us it's very simple. Romans 6, 23 tells us that 
Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's amazing. That's amazing. So here's what we have to do. One, admit that we have sinned. Jesus, I have sinned. I'm sorry. B, believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross. He is the son of God and that he rose again, showing that he could pay for your sin. And see, now you just simply say, Jesus, I'm gonna confess you as the leader of my life. It's that simple. He forgives. If you've done that, let me ask you this. What's stopping you from really being committed to following Jesus? What's stopping you? Is it really worth not following you? 